Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Hey, Cracked fans. We are so excited to be welcoming our friends at Turna back to this show as a supporting sponsor moving forward. Now, of course, all of you tennis fans know Turna Tennis for their world-famous Turna grip, that iconic purple-colored grip you see on the rackets of so many different professional tennis players. But did you also know that they make the tackiest grip in the world? That's right, folks, the brand-new Turna Tennis Mega Tack Grip. It's the tackiest grip on the market. It starts tacky and, simply put, stays Stays tacky longer than any other grip you'll find out there. And if you tell your opponent, what do I use on my racket? I use the Mega Tack. You're going to be attacking with that Mega Tack from start to finish. If you've seen anything we do at Cracked Rackets, you know I'm a hairy guy. As you can imagine, I sweat when I play. The only grip that works for me is the Turn of Tennis grip. Of course, the Mega Tack taking things to the next level. How can you get yourself hooked up with a Turn of Grip today? It's simple. You're going to either find it wherever you buy your tennis goods. Goods, or you can email them directly by emailing sales at uniquesports.com. That's sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned Crack Rackets sent you in the email. We would greatly appreciate that as they let you, them know that we sent you there. But more importantly, you'll get a free sample and they'll treat you as family moving forward. Again, you email sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned Crack Rackets. You get the free sample. You get hooked up with our friends at Turner. Once you use a Turner grip, you're never going to turn anywhere else. Of course, again, ask them about about the mega tack, the tackiest grip on the market. Contact sales at uniquesports.com and get started with our friends at Turn of Tennis today. Hello. Welcome to the next episode of the Chancel 2 podcast. This is actually going to be a solo one. Uh, which we haven't had in a while. It's probably going to be like April 2021. Uh, but Jakub is, uh, well, currently healing up his voice because he was at a music festival and yeah, he just wasn't able to uh, wasn't able to record with it today. And we kind of couldn't really do that on, on Tuesday or something. I am recording this on Monday morning. Uh, but he will be back next week, of course. I will try to cover all the topics myself. It's probably going to be much shorter because of that, but hopefully just as cons- you know, just as packed with knowledge and packed with info <laughs> as it usually is, because obviously we do a fantastic job. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's let's start with the reviews. Oh, and Jakub, by the way, sent me his uh, winner prediction picks, so you don't have to worry about that. Um, I actually wish he didn't because he's currently leading by four points, <laughs> but we'll get to that. Uh, so yeah, uh, I think we can just start with the biggest event that we had this week, which was San Marino. It didn't really feel like that because of the draw. Honestly, the fact that it was a challenger 90 didn't really matter much. Uh, but Pavel Kotov won the, tit- won the title over Matteo Arnaldi, 7-6-6-4 in the final. And this is actually one of the picks that Jakub got right. I had, um, who did I have? Uh, Zepieri, I think, who lost, lost to Valentin, Valentin Vachero in the quarterfinals, but we'll, we'll get to that later. 
Anyhow, Kotov, it is his third challenger title. It's all since December last year. So he's getting very close to the top 100 now. Uh, actually, only 32 points away. He lost one final in Segovia in 2019, but the, the, the recent ones, he won, he won them all. Uh, he also has a clay title now, which he didn't have even, I believe, even on the ITF tour. But he can, he clearly can play on clay. I mean, we saw him in the spring, what he was doing in Marrakesh, what he was doing in these French challengers like Bordeaux, Aix-en-Provence, how he played in French Open qualies, where he was probably the best performer. And honestly, it wasn't really that sort of level from Kotov, at least for most of the week. I think in the final he got the closest because Arnaldi just really gave him a, a, a tough challenge. Uh, but most of the week he was kind of, I mean, kind of struggling. But at first he didn't have the the opposition that could uh, that could take advantage of that. And then against Cecchinato in the semifinals, he was down three six two five with two breaks, and still ended up winning. There weren't any even any match points. I mean, Cecchinato just got really tight. Uh, for the most part, it wasn't like a remarkable cut of comeback, not really. But you know. The Russian can can play extremely solid tennis when he wants to. Uh, the the final had a lot of quality rallies, uh, so it, I guess it's an even bigger feat to win a challenger when you're not playing your best. And the last two wins, of course, Cecchinato, uh, Arnaldi, these are class. Even if that if that one against Marco in the semis was sort of weird. Uh, yeah, Kotov will probably get to the top 100 fairly soon if he if he keeps playing like that. He's certainly been a player of this quality this this year. Even though I still think that you know that that two month period in the spring, April May that that was probably when we saw the best of Kotov, at least for, at least for now of course. And Matteo Arnaldi was the was the runner up. Uh, he had that challenger 50 title in Francavilla Al Mare back in. Uh, what was it, April or May? May, I think, even when he beat Francesco Maestrelli. Uh, but at the at the higher level, he was mostly getting quarterfinals. Here, I believe it was a pretty easy draw because he beat Gaio, Neumayer, Maroshan, Gianu, and then lost to Kotov. So probably only the, the the one against Maroshan is really like a like a quality challenger victory usually. Um, but uh, yeah, just a, a very enjoyable grinder with a, with a very decent forehand when he's on, and I, I I felt like in the final he definitely had his chances. In the second set he was four two up, four two up or something like that. Definitely with a break, uh, the crowd tried to carry him through. Of course, uh, he got very close to breaking Kotov in the four four game as well in the second set. I think he was forty zero up. Uh, but just didn't. Uh, but it's still a, a very, a very good performance in the final. I think for the for the players that he's beaten in the, you know, for the whole week, like the the, the first four matches, uh, they they didn't really require the the sort of level that that he needed to show against Kotov to to keep it competitive. Maybe maybe the maybe Maroshan still. I already I already sort of talked about it. Uh, Giannu made the semifinals, which is. A bit of a surprise, given how his year has gone. Uh, but back in the like back in 2021, I remember both me and Jakub were thinking that he was definitely good enough to to be solid at this level, to contend for weaker challenger titles. 
uh, he just doesn't do that much with the ball, you know. He he's a very good baseliner, but I don't think he's got any like exceptional qualities or anything. But still, I I, I still believe that at you know in weaker challenger draws he's capable of going far, and he actually beat Carlos Taberner here in the second round. But in in Taberner's current form, it's probably not that not that big an achievement, even though it's still like a top 100 win, right? Or or has Taberner already fallen out? I'm I'm not sure, but Taberner was definitely very very close to the top 100 at least, and I think he might even have been in. Oh no, he he's actually fallen out 112 right now. So, but still, uh, an amazing win, an amazing run for Gianu who. Uh, even was was losing in early in 15 games recently, so uh, something something really to uh, to think about there. Chekinato again, very good run to the semis. Uh, he started his year with 11 losses, and now he actually is very close to being like a 50-50 in terms of win-loss uh, records. So uh, he he picked himself up, and it's it's a very respectable feat because for a while it seemed like he. Maybe I mean not 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 really would finish his career soon or anything because he's still like 29 or or whatever, uh, but that maybe we've seen the best of Chekinato and clearly clearly we haven't. Yeah, 29 will finish will finish will turn 30 this year, and uh, yeah I mentioned this guy Valentin Vasharoch whom I really want to talk about uh, a former collegian and it seems like out of uh, Monegasque or I think I think that's how it's. Um, you know, how it's pronounced the, the, the like the uh, the term for a for a player for for a person from Monaco well he he's technically from France but started representing Monaco at the beginning of his pro career and he played college for Texas A&M and i honestly overlooked how well he's been doing on the AT, on the ITF tour he's already won 5 titles i think since since turning pro uh, he's coached by Benjamin Bolleré so one of the Monegasque legends again, because he uh, he made that third round at Monte Carlo in 2006, uh, got through the qualies, played Roger Federer for uh, in the third round, which was pretty amazing. And uh, I'm I'm sure if uh, if you watched a bit of Monte Carlo in like 2010s or 2006 and onwards, you you certainly heard of Benjamin Bolleré. Even if he didn't get as far as Jean-Renaud Lisnard or, yeah, I guess Jean-Renaud Lisnard when it comes to players from Monaco. Uh, so, but but Vacherot plays very basic uh, tennis with a big big game, and I don't think it's it's gonna get him super far. But the the level he showed beating Zapieri, De Jong, uh, losing to losing to Chakinato eventually, but that, that that's not really a problem, right? Um, especially maybe helped by the altitude in San, San Marino, it just looked really threatening and it seems like he should be raising, ra- uh, you know, he, sh- he, should keep ra- he, sh- he should keep rising to the challenger level. Uh, perhaps not beyond because it just seems very, very caveman-like is a, uh, is a phrase I, I, I used when, when describing him in a group chat this week that, that he plays caveman tennis uh, because he sort of does. Uh, but it's still, you know, I, I like caveman tennis. I actually um, enjoy all these guys with big serves, big forehands, just trying to keep kill the points early. 
uh, that's that's kind of my style. So so Vashro was definitely someone that I, that I enjoyed this week. I probably have seen him once or twice before, but I didn't really pay that much attention to him. Uh, he he played Monte Carlo this year, qualifying, lost to Oscar Rota, I think, but also gave him a, a, a decent match and probably will get more Monte Carlo wildcards in the future. Maybe he's going to be the new Lucas Catarina in that because he, he generally seems like a much bigger threat than Katarina right now, but we know that Lucas was uh, was pulling uh, some decent, well, not not upsets usually, but just giving uh, higher ranked opponents good fight a good fight in in Monte Carlo, so that they will probably want to keep uh, rewarding him as well. And when it comes to doubles in San Marino, because I think that's that's all we have to cover from that. There was a very good final. Like I, I really want to see that if I go to an event. Bortolotti, Martos Gornes uh, against the Sabanovs. Uh, Bortolotti and Martos Gornes uh, won the. Uh, Bortolotti and Martos Gornes won the title six four six four, and yeah, uh, they they've been like one of the more underrated pairs this year. I think. Uh, constantly getting uh, getting deep in these challengers. Also, they they they've already won. Um, how many is that? I think I think they won one title last year. Uh, so definitely one of one of the pranks who will probably be pretty high up on the um, will probably be pretty high up on the challenger uh, doubles race. But we'll have to wait for Jakub to uh, next week to tell us. But the, they're 16 and 11 together this year. Uh, which doesn't sound that great because at the beginning of at the beginning of the season they 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 started one and four, like not at the beginning of the season because they they actually started they they played one event together in May in Turin then started uh, like really go, going at it week by week uh, in Heilbronn which was the beginning of May, but generally the, the the start wasn't great but they had they already had two finals in Perugia Trieste. Uh, then the semi at Cordenons last week, uh, where they actually lost to the Sabanovs. So yeah, quite a, quite an interesting thing there, and they're they're definitely one of my one of my favorite pairings to watch right now on the on the Challenger doubles circuit. Uh, yeah, let's let's go to Merbusch then, which was the other um, the other European event on clay this year uh, this week. Sorry. Bernabe Zapata Miralesh, the top seed, won the title, and this is actually the second pick that uh, that Jakub had. Um, Bernabe, well, after after Ron Garros' fourth round, I was actually kind of surprised to learn that he hasn't even made the final in a challenger this year. I think this was his eighth or ninth appearance, but well, that, that's out of the window now. He only really had one tough moment in the quarterfinals against Sumit Nagal, whom I will touch a bit upon later, uh, but there was a third set where no one could hold serve, Bernabe was leading 5-2 with two breaks, and then still had to win it 7-5, uh, but other than that it was very easy, but also the draw wasn't that that, uh, that rough on him. It was Max Hans Reberg, Oleksii Krutyk, Clement Tabur in the semi-finals, and then Denis Novak. Um, so Denis Novak obviously could be dangerous when he's playing well, but in the final, it, I think it only lasted like 50 minutes or something, and, and Bernabe just easily dominated that with his with his forehand. Uh, yeah, Denis Novak was the finalist. Uh, very very inconsistent year, and it even showed in in this tournament because the first two rounds were very tough for him. Well, 
I guess I guess compared to Bernabe, he actually had a much much tougher draw because he had to play Kopshiva against whom he was three five down in the decider, and Janel Struff, who was my pick for the title. That was a pretty un- unexpected comeback because Struff won the first set six one, and then Novak won the next two, and then he just uh, thrashed Jumhur, which is I think a great matchup for him. Uh, I remember them playing in a Bratislava 2019 final, which was the the one event that we very often uh, very often mentioned with Jakub because we both were there, uh, but didn't know each other at the time, which uh, which is pretty funny. But I remember him just completely blasting uh, Jumhur of the court in that final. Uh, not sure if uh, yeah he leads Jumhur three and one. Jumhur won uh, one challenger meeting in 2015. So yeah, it just, it just seems like a very good matchup for the Austrian whenever he's whenever he's playing well. Uh, and yeah, and he beat Ricardo Bonadio in the semifinals. Another another great run for Bonadio, uh, whom I remember when when he played that Bratislava final against Shevchenko. By the way, he defeated Shevchenko here in the second round. It really felt like it was like a now or never chance, but maybe not. Uh, I don't think he's capable of winning. Uh, stacked challenger but when there's uh, one that you know an 80 which is you know slightly weaker uh, he's certainly shown that that he can still do it because his route was very tough he played Agamemnon, Shevchenko and Foretek to get to the semi-finals just didn't really have the weight of shot to to trouble Novak and Clement Tabur uh, was also in the semis as I mentioned but honestly I mean Tabur just doesn't really do that much with the ball uh, it was mostly his opponents flopping because Klein was Klein came so close to winning the, against uh, against him in the first round. I can't remember how many match points or maybe there there weren't any, but he was definitely like leading by a break in the third at least. Uh, Hanfman played uh, a very poor third set against him as well, and Moraink was just injured again and not really able to give his best effort or not wanting to not to you know not to aggravate the injury uh, but the guy i wanted to mention from the quarter finalists was definitely Sumit Nagal 7-5 in the third against Bernabe Zapata Miralesh last week he had that one against Foraitek and he's really playing well right now like he he was able to overpower Zapata Miralesh and thinking of Sumit Nagal you don't usually think about the pop on his shots and he has it. Like the the forehand can be absolutely huge when he when he plays it like that. And the only thing really keeping him from from winning matches like that is the serve. In deciding sets against Bernabe and against Lehechka, he only held once each, and it's simply not enough. He still came close to to, to winning against Zapata Miralesh, but you know it's it's just not gonna be enough. By the way, it was also a funny, a funny situation because we the, the stream for Zapata Miralesh and Nagal dropped at six five after after Zapata Miralesh uh, couldn't serve it out on two previous occasions, and then it uh, it just died at six five, and he won the game to love, <laughs> which was uh, very anticlimactic for the for the stream viewers, that's for sure, and probably for the guys on the uh, you know in the stands as well. I think this is all from Merbush. Will I only? I will only mention who won the doubles title, of course. And if I remember correctly, yeah, it was of course uh, David Pell and Shimon Valkov beating Neil Oberleitner and Philip Oswald. Uh, this is an 11th challenger title for for Valkov, and they they just started their uh, partnership with Pell this week. 
so definitely an amazing debut, uh, beating some some quality pairings like Balaji and Nedun Hezian. Uh, also, they they kind of struggled against Gerhen Squire in the opening round, so maybe the you know the, they they needed to work out some things before getting to before getting to be better. And I think they they're also in Kozerki this week, so uh, very excited to watch them there. Yeah, uh, let's go to Chicago maybe, where we had one of our two top 100 breakthroughs this week, and it's Roman Safiulin who needed to win the final to get there. He led, uh, well, he led Ben Shelton by a set, but then everything kind of went awry. He was already down to four in the third, but it was really one of the first moments when we see Ben Shelton falter under pressure. But it's it's not like Safiulin didn't put him under it. Like he, Safiulin is playing so aggressively on return right now. I love it. It's it's really a different sort of. Uh, I don't want to say pressure again, but it's a different sort of pressure to uh, to what uh, other opponents could give to Shelton this week. And I think that showed in the final. Very nice mental effort as well to get to the top 100 with such a tough match. Uh, Safiulin wins his third challenger title, second this year. And if you remember, against the FCF, he was also down a break in the deciding set pretty deep into it, right? There, uh, a net court saved him. If you remember that point with, at... Uh, 4 3 40, 15 EFCAF or something like that. And and Safiulin hidden like an awfully lucky net, net court, uh, which which just died and, and then went on to break that game and, and win the match. Uh, so another another comeback in the deciding set for, for the Russian, which is quite interesting. Of, of course, he had a fantastic year uh, from being the hero at the ATP Cup to Marseille semis, then actually turning it into good challenger results. Uh, very deserved. He's a former Grand Slam Juniors champion, which isn't really mentioned that often by now because it's it's been so many years that I guess just no one remembers it. Uh, and of course, Ben Shelton was in the final. So excited for him to play CNC and US Open with wildcards. I really think that at this point he probably shouldn't stay in college. Um, it's a personal decision, of course. It, it, it could work out for him. But I guess he's just so pro-ready, he's so mature already. He uh, demonstrated a lot of his ability to problem-solve, play under pressure this week. Uh, against Thompson, the, the second set and maybe like the last few games of the opening set, uh, this was probably the best I've seen him hit his backhand. In general, beating Jordan Thompson, someone as experienced as Pesty like that, uh, is, is a huge win for Shelton. Uh, Again, just 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 an insane talent, and uh, it's a shame that he didn't win this one. But you know, it's a learning curve. You 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 gotta sometimes you gotta take a, a loss to to then win more in the future, and that's probably what Ben Shelton is about to do. Uh, if if he plays any challengers soon, because we know he he will appear at Cincy, he will appear at the U.S. Open, but who knows what he's gonna do next? It 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 really all all depends on the decision whether to go pro or. Or stay in college. Uh, yeah, and the, the semi-finals had Radu Albot against Roman Safiulin. Uh, just a pretty decent run for, for the Moldovan whom I picked to, to win this one. Uh, who was Jakub's pick at this point in time? I think it was Chris O'Connell. He he lost in the second round. And, and mine was Albot. Um, I, I guess uh, it, it's just fair because he just doesn't have the explosiveness to 
play someone like Safiulin when the Russian is hitting well. Uh, but still a very decent round, though, so I, I can't really be uh, angry about this one. And the other one, uh, Betty sent us uh, pr the pronunciation of the name um, of the of the Dutchman who <laughs> had a fantastic run in Houston this year. Yeah, it's like yes, yes, Brauer. Uh, I I think so. Uh, hopefully, finally we got it right. When Jakub is gonna be there next week, I'm I'm definitely gonna teach him that if I if I got it right this time. Uh, but I just listened. Honestly, you, you're probably not gonna hear the cut, but I just stopped the recording to listen to it again just to make sure I I repeat it from uh, from Betty's voice message as good as I can. Uh, but thank thank you, of course, as as always. And yeah, this guy also made the semis. His baseline game actually looked much better this time than, than in recent weeks, which was cool. Uh, still, Shelton with another... Uh, Shelton beat him in the semifinals fairly comfortably, although 6-3-7-5, the, the, the second set could have gone uh, could have gone the other way if, if Shelton didn't step it up in the, in the pressure moments. Is there anyone else that we should be talking about this week? Uh, Probably not, honestly. Borna Goyo made the quarters. Zakaris Faida, a very decent run after we haven't seen a good level at the challengers uh, from him probably uh, since Puerto Vallarta or something like that last year. Uh, but, you know, with his game, it, it kind of makes sense to me. Uh, so, yeah, I think we'll just mention the doubles, of course, which was won by uh, Goranson and McLachlan. Uh, pretty interesting because they don't really show up at the challengers all that often. McLachlan played that uh, Barletta uh, event earlier in the year, right? But they 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 did fall a, uh, a bit. Uh, they they did fall a bit in the doubles rankings. Like they're they're at about eighty right now. So I think we're both of them. So I think we're going to see quite a bit of Goranson and uh, McLachlan in uh, in future weeks. Yes, and the last challenger event we had this week was the was in, was played in Lima. Lima is again. I will I will be reminding of that not on altitude, which uh, it's basically sea level. And the the guy who won it was Camilo Hugo Carabelli over Tiago Agustin Tirante in the battle of Argentinian players with three three names. And Hugo Carabelli also breaks the top one hundred with the title, like Safiulin. Uh, and like Safiulin, he needed to win the final. And I think it was in his head, you know? With with Safiulin, it felt like, you know, not really, he didn't care or didn't know or didn't... <laughs> I guess he must have known that he was close, at least. Uh, with Hugo Carabelli, it felt like it was in his head, that's for sure. Uh, he beat Tirante 6-2-7-6, and the second set got really messy. And honestly, Tirante wasn't really doing that much. I think it was mostly Hugo Carabelli just... Yeah, really feeling the pressure, not not being able to handle the nerves the way he would have wanted to. And, uh, well, he did it eventually. Uh, it was a bit of a race, because on the 29th of August he is dropping Warsaw points, which was his first challenger title last year. But, yeah, he has five challenger finals in the in the space of a, of, of a year, so that's, that's pretty amazing. Uh, he won three of them. Uh, Tira as for Tirante, uh, this is a very nice run for him as well, because we, we usually saw him just succeeding at al altitude recently, there, there weren't many good runs this season, but he beat Varias in a, in a very high quality match in the quarters, and then 
uh, ended the run of another Peruvian, Gonzalo Bueno, whom I am going to talk about uh, a bit more uh, just, you know, just just in a few seconds. Uh, he saved too much points in that crazy semi-final. Uh, and yeah, this wasn't really a match to Hugo Carabelli, honestly, in the, in, in, in the championship match. Uh, Tirantes forehand still still had amazing moments this week, of course, uh, but and it's it's a very reassuring run. But I think we're sort of past the point where everyone is expecting Tirante to be one of the uh, one of the best Argentinian prospects, and it's kind of sad because he he's got a very exciting game when he's on his on, on, in the right rhythm when he's on his form. And yeah, in the semi-finals we had Thomas Martin Echeverri, who once again proved that fitness-wise, he's one of the very best players on the Challenger circuit for sure. He won the quarter-final, his quarter-final match against Renzo Olivo in 4 hours 17 minutes, and I am going to talk about it a bit more in a, uh, in, in one of the next seg- segments, uh, I think you know what I mean. And against Ugo Carabelli, he went down 5-0 in the third, and still pulled it back to 5-5. And this was just a day, not even 24 hours after that, that match against Olivo. And it, it's just insane how, how fit this guy is, how great he can play after such a long uh, you know, such a long encounter on the court and just still be hitting the, this forehand amazingly, still be very ballsy with it as well, because at 5-3 against Hugo Carabelli, he saved the... Uh, he saved the match point with uh, you know, just blasting a forehand on the line, constructing the, that point very well and finding that opening. Uh, then ended up losing five seven in the in the decider, but you know he he really was dead uh, by the end of it. And Ugo Garabelli, to be fair, uh, even if uh, he kind of lost his placement, lost his depth uh, for a long while there, he really finished it with two beautiful backhands, one a passing shot and one. Uh, uh, one winner down the line from from very like out of position let's say and the other semi-finalist yes Gonzalo Bueno he was the junior reward number five but I honestly didn't pay that much attention to him uh, back in the junior days he always seemed kind of underranked to, uh, overranked to me like you know getting top four seedings at Grand Slams was he really that good well apparently maybe yes I think there was some of that, um, you know, home crowd factor here was definitely involved, uh, but he had a very nice forehand and a m- way more pro-ready game than I thought. Uh, he beat Fikovic, Buruchaga, Gastao Elias, and then, well, came so close to beating Tirante. 5-3 in the third, uh, he had two match points, and honestly, they, they, they were great saves by Tirante. Uh, I think one of them was like a big return and then he finished a short point, but the other one, he's, he, he just killed a few forehands and uh, and found a very a very nice winner with a pretty short angle even. Uh, and yeah, just, just a very stunning week for Bueno because I didn't think he was quite there yet. And in, even on the ITF Tour, he wasn't doing that well. So uh, we'll see if, he, if, the, if there's any chance of replicating this. Uh, but it's a very, very nice base to build up on, that's for sure. Uh, there was also another Peruvian who made a bit of an impact, Ignacio Buse, another top 10 junior. This one, I think, picked at number 9. Apparently, he wants to go to college. Um, there, there was some discussion on Twitter about it, uh, but I honestly think he should, because compared to Bueno, he just doesn't have the weight of shots required to for, for the senior circuit, I think. 
Um, he beat Eduardo Ribeiro. Maybe not the greatest of wins because you know, you know he, he he just easily took that. But of course, Ribeiro isn't really a challenger player. Uh, but then he played a very nice match against Gastão Elias. Uh, lost six 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 seven uh, one six. Um, very talented in terms of the hands for sure. Just just uh, a great defender as well. Uh, moves around the court, covers it very well. But I don't think, yeah, I don't think there's that weight of shot that you need to really succeed in the pros. So college with that s- solid, uh, with that solid, um, I don't know how to how to say it. I mean, I mean the, the solid base that he has, it really should be something for him. I think. Uh, also playing on hard courts could be could be very beneficial. So it, it it would really make sense, I think, for for Ignacio Busse. Bueno, he might actually be good enough to to just start his professional career. Uh, we'll we'll see if this this sort of run, if this level is replicated by him in any other, in any other events than than a Peruvian challenger, than 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 an event at home. Yeah, and is there anyone else that I need to talk about in Lima? I do not think so. We'll just mention the doubles, which were won by Ignacio Caru and Facundo Mena over Orlando Luz and Camilo Gocarabelli. Uh, pretty surprising, I suppose, but the, the doubles draw in general, I mean, wasn't really that strong. Uh, I think only Galdos and Olivo looked like a, like a pretty good pairing for me. Uh, but but yeah, they they, they didn't really. Uh, they lost to Luz and Hugo Carabelli in the semifinals. Uh, also, Bueno and Buse uh, beat the Huertas del Pino brothers and lost to Caru and Mena in a in a super tiebreaker. So even in doubles, the the two Peruvian juniors, former juniors, I guess. I, I think they're still both like eighteen or nineteen. Uh, former juniors, I suppose. Um, yeah, that they both went deep even, well, maybe not went deep, but made some impact in even in this event as well. Yeah, and when it comes to match of the week and upset of the week, I think match of the week is just uh, straight up. It's It has to be this. If, you, if you're not picking Echeverri Olivo, then I think you just probably didn't watch it. <laughs> Four hours and 17 minutes of absolutely excellent clay tennis. Uh, so much exciting stuff going on in the rallies, so much to talk about, think about when it comes to the tactics. Um, fantastic, uh, fantastic stuff from both physically, because really to to still be playing at the quality that they were playing at the end of the match. So many long rallies. Uh, I think when it comes to like the points total, it was about 140 to 100 for 143 to 140 I'm looking at it right now yeah 146 to 142 so just just an insane match that uh, you know the, the crowds enjoyed as well South America always gets this these amazing uh, the the amazing attendance and the the atmosphere and and it was insane to follow from home as well when it comes to upset of the week as usual, I was supposed to check to check what my upset of the week was going to be, but I didn't. Uh, so I'm going to be doing it a bit uh, on the fly. Uh, I think from San Marino there's Gianu Taberner, but that doesn't really satisfy me. Bueno Elias, mm, that that's pretty good. Okay, Bueno Buruchaga, big upset as well. Panta Alvarez, that was pretty huge, but you know it's Alvarez. Bueno Fukovic, Fikovic. I honestly didn't think it was that big an upset. Hmm. I don't know. 
Taburo over Hanfman, that, that's a pretty good one as well. Uh, yeah, I, I think because the bookies prefer Bueno Fikovic, like by, by a lot, uh, I think Taburo over Hanfman surprised me more because Taburo is just very, you know, the, the, the baseline game that he has is just very bland. He doesn't do that much with the ball. And it seemed like for Hanfman, who actually played quite decent in recent weeks, this was a very, very winnable second round. Uh, like very winnable, very uh, one that he should be progressing through fairly easily. Mm, but I suppose, yeah, it just didn't happen. Maybe maybe the scheduling kind of killed Hanfman as well, because he played Kstad, Kitzbihel, then went to Los Cabos and then was back uh, playing Bundesliga in like a few days. So maybe, maybe that also was a was a bit of a factor in, the, in this one. Uh, yeah, and now let's go to the previews where we have only three challengers next week. A 125 in Santo Domingo, a 125 as well in Vancouver, and a 90 in Kozerki, uh, which is in Poland. It's Sometimes you're going to see it as Grodzisk Mazowiecki, which is a city a few kilometers away from Kozerki. I'm staying in Grodzisk Mazowiecki, but you know I'm driving uh, every day. Every day I'm driving to the courts in Kozerki. Um, next week when we when we meet, I'll probably have some content from there for you, and also we'll. we'll we will then start probably with, with, with Kozerki, but right now I'll, I'll just head to Santo Domingo and Vancouver because they're the bigger events. Uh, yeah, and in Santo Domingo we have Roberto Carbaez Baena as the top seed. He plays Gonzalo Villanueva, and then there's Damir Jumhur playing Peter Bertran. Peter Bertran, I don't know, he's a, he's a Dominican Republic player whom I honestly have never heard of. 26 years old uh, in the 800 of the ATP rankings. Okay, he, he played college tennis. Uh, not sure how to pronounce his name. Um, yeah, then there's Comesania uh, and Trunjaliti and the second seed in that, I mean the seventh seed, but the, the other seed in that section is Delbonis playing Dutra da Silva. That's a pretty interesting first match. Like Delbonis will have to be on top of his game quite early. Uh, Galan plays a qualifier and then Stebe or Olivieri. Uh, there's also Varias Tirante, which is a rematch for the quarterfinals in Lima. And one of them will play Nick Hart, playing at home in Santo Domingo, or Gonzalo Lama, who I think, uh, I do have to check it, but I think Gonzalo Lama has just won, a, was it a 25k or a 15k? I'm not sure, but I think he's just won an ITF event. Yeah, beating Reis da Silva in the, in the final, uh, whom he lost to two weeks prior. Yeah, Lama was on a terrible losing streak in challengers, but then went to the ITFs and turned out it turns out he was still uh, better than the than the players there mostly. Uh, Ugo Carabelli Bonadio, excellent first round. Although, well, Bonadio is coming from uh, was it Merbush or San Marino? Let me think. Uh, Merbush. So I don't know how he how that is going to work out for him. I guess he lost in Merbush on Friday. No, on Saturday. So he, he will have a few days, but not that much. Uh, so a big a bit of an advantage for Ugo Carabelli there, but a cracking first round matchup anyway. Uh, Renzo Olivo plays Gonzalo Bueno. So we will instantly get to see whether Gonzalo Bueno can, can replicate this sort of level. I mean, against Olivo, that's going to be tough. And then Echeverry has a section with three, other quali uh, with three qualifiers. So uh, probably an easy section for Tome there. Uh, Facundo Mena plays a qualifier and then Elias or a qualifier. And in the last section, we've got G Gerald Meltzer playing Pedro Kacin and Alessandro Gianessi against Roberto Cuiros. 
uh, when it comes to the qualifying, uh, well, Jakub also sent me a, th a couple of doubles teams that he said he was going, he was excited about, and I think one of them is here, which is Kachin Ugo Carabelli. Ugo Carabelli turns out to be a better doubles player than than it seems, and I think Kachin could could be that as well. I'm actually not sure if Pedro Kachin played a lot of doubles this year. I, I can't really remember him doing that, but with the with the serve that we've been uh, mentioning a lot. Uh, yeah, seven and four in doubles this year, so so clearly he kind of gave it up uh, when he started all that singles success. He's going to be back to doubles after three months. Um, but yeah, uh, when it comes to the qualifying, there's Nicolas Mejia uh, playing Yin Seong Chung, so a very a very exciting f final round matchup there. Buruchaga could could do well in the whole event, like Barrientos if he beats Artos. Uh, by the way, by the way, uh, Arklon and Connor Huertas del Pino had to face each other in the opening round, and Arklon won. Uh, there's also Alvarez. There's uh, Boscardin Diaz. I'm, I guess he's not that much of a factor, but in there are a couple who could make some noise in the uh, in the in the main event, uh, but because the qualifying draw isn't that strong. I actually want to go for Thomas Martin Echeverry. Oh, and I didn't mention one very important thing. In the doubles draw, there's also Victor Estrella Burgos, the 42-year-old Dominican Republic legend, the three-time consecutive champion of ATP 250 Quito. Uh, he is back. He retired at this event in 2019. He played both doubles, I think, with Nick Hart back then, and also in singles he won a round and then lost to Monteiro, if, my, if memory serves right. And now he's back just to play this this one event, I suppose, in doubles. And he is partnering that guy I didn't, you know, I was thinking about the pronunciation of, so Bertrand, uh, Peter or Peter or whatever. And yeah, and he, they're going to play doubles. They are facing Pura Fraja and uh, Divisharan. So not, uh, not, not easy, definitely not easy from the get-go there. Yeah, and when it comes to my picks, I really... Echeverry sounds like sounds great for me, uh, because he's playing a qualifier, a qualifier, or, <laughs> well, a qualifier and then a qualifier. But his section is, is quite rough. Uh, Ugo Carabelli, Bonadio, or Olivo, or Bueno even, uh, in the quarterfinals. That, that's tough. But, do I trust anyone else more than I trust Echeverry? Probably not. Varias Tiranta in the opening round. Carbaez Baena is a pick, but he wasn't doing that well recently, maybe? I mean, he, he had the, he had this uh, month or so where he where he was, I think, even lightly injured, but then uh, made the final in Amersfoort. Uh, then I guess he was also doing well in Umag. I don't know, Carbaez Baena is definitely an option as well. Uh, I'm thinking whether I trust him enough against most of these players here. I mean, with Carbaez Baena, it's just the, the matter that he, he's not going to be better than a certain, like, you know what I mean, that he, he's not going to punch above his weight. He's just incredibly solid usually, and he is going to also, like, he's not going to disappoint randomly unless he's like, injured or having some other issues. Um, yeah, okay, I'm going to change it to Carbaez Baena, just because Echeverry had this long week in Lima, even though he he was only in the semis, but you know, the match against Olivo, the match against Ugo Carabelli, and I don't I don't like his quarterfinal. 
you know, encounter. The, the possibility of facing Hugo Carabelli, Bonadio, Olivo, Bueno, that doesn't sound great. Uh, Jakub sent me over that he is picking Pedro Kacin, uh, which I think is a very solid choice as well. Uh, it's a good section for, for Kacin, that's for sure. I just kind of feel like if Kacin gets to the semis or finals, he will lose to one of these guys, uh, one of these stronger players who gets to who gets to a championship match. But Kacin is definitely among the favorites as well. Uh, yeah, and let's go to Vancouver, the other one to five. This is the one that people are supposed to be using as uh, preparation for Grand Slam US Open qualies, I suppose. And we've got Yoshihito Nishioka facing Alexis Galarno in the opening round. That's quite a tough opener already. And Galarno has a wild card here. And then one of them will play Verdasco or Fikovic. Constant Lestien is the, is the fifth seed playing a qualifier. And then Kepfer or Pirosh. Uh, Mikael Immer took a late wildcard to appear here and he will play Manuel Guinard. Pretty interesting to see Manuel Guinard on, in a challenger in Vancouver, but you know, with the, with the ranking that he has, he probably will be playing some hard courts at least, just to prepare for the US Open. Uh, Brody plays a qualifier and you know, that his rival for Immer or Guinard. Wessler uh, is playing a qualifier and then Umber or, or a qualifier, so that's a very... That's a very interesting section right there. Uh, Umber received a main draw US Open wildcard, so he doesn't have to play the qualies. He got that one from the French Tennis Federation. Berankis Escobedo, very tough opener. Uh, then Bergs uh, plays Gabriel Diallo, the, the Canadian wildcard, with some with some promise. Uh, some premise, sorry. Uh, Arthur Rindernech play, uh, is the third seed and plays a qualifier, and then Uchida or Elias Immer. Uh, there's a very interesting opening round between Jari and Thompson. Like for some reason, it just doesn't like really sit right with me. I don't know. It it just looks, it just looks very weird to to, to see Jari at at an event in Vancouver after you know he, he he was only really in South America and and sometimes in Europe. And uh, I mean, it, obviously, it's a it's an it's very natural. He's probably gonna come back to the top 100 soon. If he has like one or two good, more good results, uh, but still, it's uh, you know I don't know something about this is just sort of like I'm looking at it and I have to like check again whether that's right if you know what I mean. And Maligeni Alves plays Pospisil. We'll see how Vasek does at his uh, at his sort of home event, or I'm not actually sure from where he he was probably still born in uh, in Czechoslovakia, right? Uh, or no, he was actually he was actually born in Vernon, so not not home event in terms of the hometown, uh, but uh, yeah, um, but but home in terms of the country, of course. And Gilles Simon uh, plays a qualifier, and Vesely plays Richard. That's that's a very rough draw considering that Richard is an alternate. But that that was that that's how low the cutoff here was, and in the qualifying, Escoffier Ayeni. That's a cracking final qualifying round. Jab Nanda, very exciting as well. Uh, Vatanuki, maybe Clement Shidek can do something. He he is one of the collegians that could have a have a nice career when they finish. Uh, hasn't exactly made the splash that he did last year, I think. But last year it was in uh, French indoor challengers in September, I think. So that that is still coming. Um, Hidek, oh Jesus, I, I cannot spell his name. I'm, I'm just trying to see what he was doing this year so far in the pros. Well, yeah, he, he just played a few ITFs, won one, uh, but a couple of, of, well, not early, but 
uh, earlier losses recently. Uh, Ulysses Blanche as well, always dangerous. Also, yeah, that that form that he's in, you know, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, when it comes to the winner picks, it's a very tough event. I think there's no like real front runners. I don't like the fact that Nishioka is playing Galarno in the opening round, but maybe you should still pick Nishioka. Yeah, I, I am going to go with Nishioka. He he played so well in in Washington, was it recently? Uh, after right after Atlanta, right? Washington, uh, and I I think I'm just gonna trust him to just take it straight to to Vancouver. Uh, Jakub sent me over that he is picking Rinderneh, uh, which is pretty solid as well. But I just haven't really trusted his form in in a long while. I think since that injury in the spring, he hasn't he hasn't really picked himself up. Although he obviously won the Poznan Challenger, uh, but other than other than that, yeah, I I I, I kind of agree that Rinderneh is one of the viable picks as well. I don't know if Lestien is well. He's definitely capable of winning this event in the in the form that he was in uh, most of the season. Uh, he is uh, a possibility, like in terms of who can eliminate Nishioka for sure. Umber Wessler second round that would be amazing. Although there are some qualifiers that can definitely stop either of them. Um, yeah, I'm gonna go with Nishioka, which is actually the second top seed I'm picking this week. So maybe I will make that, uh, you know, a, a, a themed prediction, uh, a, a prediction, uh, a theme of my predictions this episode. Uh, we've done it in the past somehow, sometimes, and it's uh, in this particular case, I think it kind of makes sense. Uh, so yeah, right now I'm going to Kozerki, or or maybe there was a double sparing that Jakub wanted me to mention. Yeah, it was Bemelmans playing with Bergs, so the the recently retired Ruben Bemelmans, who's now part of Zizu Bergs' coaching team, is also going to play doubles with him in uh, in Vancouver. And now Kozerki which is a brand new challenger event in Poland. Uh, I, I will have to tell you some, some of the background. Like they, they built the hard courts just three weeks ago and they held an uh, ITF uh, 100K for women's there. Well, obviously because there's no one, well, ITF's 100Ks for, for men's, but, but you know what I mean. Um, the, the hard courts are supposed to be very quick, but apparently for now they aren't. They will get faster with more use, with more playtime simply uh, yeah and the, the venue used to hold clay events in the past it's a bit in the middle of nowhere so I think the attendances might be pretty low it's hard to judge after uh, after qualifying but I don't think there will be a big big difference uh, well a, a bit in the middle of nowhere it's 40 kilometers away from Warsaw but I think the the 40 kilometers make a lot of difference just you know compared to hosting an event in a big city Poland has never had one a challenger in a city smaller than Bitom, and it's like 200k people, I think. Kozerki is just a, a village. Uh, it's it's fairly close to Grodzisk Mazowiecki, but it's also not a big city, and I doubt there's many. There are many. Um, well, there are many tennis fans in Grodzisk Mazowiecki. Ticket prices are are pretty high as well, especially for the weekend. So we'll see about that. Uh, but the the club in Kozerki, um, well, I think it was called Cekategrodzisk uh, Mazowiecki, but they're they're also uh, they're also branding it as Akademia Tennis Kozerki, Akademi, ten, ten, something like that, Tennis Kozerki, some Akademi something, and they 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 have big plans there really, like they they want to be one of the top uh, tennis academies in Europe. They're building, they're, they're, there's already a school there, 
which I think is called Tenisowa Szkoła Podstawowa, which would be like uh, tennis primary school. Uh, but they want to build a, a school for 350 students even, which would be quite something, definitely. And they, they also, you know, part of why they, they build up th these hard courts is that they want their players to uh, have the best possible training, pos like the best possible training uh, options. And they apparently are even planning a grass court. So Kozerki is really going to be uh, a huge training center for Poland and perhaps not even only for Poland. Uh, there was a bit of controversy with the fact that the ITF event was uh, like the, the, it was um, a commemoration of the of Poland's president that who died in 2010 in an airplane crash, with, along with his wife and 94 other people. And there's like a the the center court is named after him as well. Uh, we, you know he had nothing to do with tennis, and a lot of people didn't really like that. Uh, Poland is very split right now in terms of politics. Like there's there's two basically. Uh, it's a generalization, but there are like basically two options. You're either with the governing party or against it. And all the people against it hated this move. I think it's, um, well, it's connected to the money. Like they just got a lot of money from the government to build these, to build this, these courts, to get to uh, get to go uh, to have these events. So I, I suppose it was just part of the contract. How do I feel about it? Honestly, I don't really care. <laughs> like, it, 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 there, there's a bit of a, uh, I don't really know. There, there's a sign uh, re regarding this, like the, the remembering the president. But other than that, you know, does that does that really change a lot? If they needed uh, to agree to that to get the money, I guess that's fine. But yeah, it was a bit of a, an interesting controversy regarding the event. Uh, the venue is great, that's for sure. The scheduling is kind of weird though, because recent uh, yesterday, uh, first round of qualifying, we had 12 matches on two courts only. I mean, I've seen this sort of scheduling before, but only in indoor events, and a lot of players were already complaining about that. Uh, I've heard a talk between Poliak and Zhukayev, for example. Poliak was playing his fourth, he was, he was the fourth uh, match on court uh, 13, which is the, the second court. And he was like very angry about it. And today, because some of the qualities matches weren't finished, some of the first round qualities matches weren't finished due to rain. Today we have three courts, but still on the main court it's six uh, six encounters. So we start at 10 a.m. and we might be finishing at like I don't know uh, 1 a.m. But on the next day, uh, yesterday it was only really the rain that stopped something like that because the pace with which we were going yesterday I think it would have been a 1 a.m. 2 a.m. finish uh, It's very weird because they have five hard courts so they can easily play on three four three or even four of them But you know for some reason they they decided to do it this way But yeah, the rain forced them to use the third court uh, today anyway uh, yeah, and when it comes to the draw, we've got Kamil Mikeshak playing Hamad Medvedovich in the first round. I hate this draw. I mean, this is... I, I, I wish these players were in different sections of the draw and they actually could have, you know, both went deep because they're, they're, they're both... Uh, I mean, Medvedovich is such an exciting prospect. We'll see how he does on hard courts. And, and Mikeshak, of course, is one of the front runners for this event. Uh, then one of them will play Zhukor Hase, a very tough draw for, for, for either... Uh, 
not only talking about the fact that they're playing each other, but also the fact that they have to play Mark Szakot Mediedovic next. And Zizhen Zhang is the other uh, seed in that section, so also quite brutal. The top quarter is really stacked. And Zhang is starting against Janvier, which on hard courts doesn't have to be easy. Uh, then one of them will play Kirkin or Marchenko. Uh, Maximilian Marterer plays Arold Mayo uh, in, the, in the first round. And then one of them will play Jerzy Janowicz with a wildcard or a qualifier. So Janowicz gets a qualifier again, just like in Poznań. In Poznań he didn't win it, uh, he lost to Ejupovic. But, you know, it's hard courts here. So theoretically, he should be, uh, he should have a much better chance. He was complaining about the fact that he was, you know, still playing on clay. He wanted to get to hard courts. So this is his chance. And Sebastian Ofner is playing Szymon Kielan with a wild card. Um, again, I've, I've talked about it quite a bit, but Kelan is one of the guys who would really want more hardcore, more indoor hardcore, especially events in Poland. He's got a huge serve, and it's a shame that he drew Ofner, uh, because I think against a lot of players in the draw, he would have had a very good chance to win. Uh, and against Ofner, it's going to be tough. Uh, then one of them will play Dekams or Krutyk. Uh, the, fifth side, the fifth seed is Tomas Mahac, who is playing Milian Zekic. Uh, then one of them will play Mirza Basic or Dan Adet. Uh, Yuri Rodionov is the third seed, playing Henry Squire from the get-go. That's also not, not that easy with Squire's serve. And one of them will play Hertz or a qualifier. And the last section has Pablo Andujar as the second seed, playing Vitali Sachko. One of them will face a qualifier. And the other seed is Nicolas Alvarez Varona, who is playing the third Polish wildcard, Max Kasznikowski. And uh, one of them will play a qualifier as well. Kashnikovsky has a very good draw. Like if he beats Alvarez Varona, he's actually ca- even capable of making like the semis. Um, he re- he made the he made the final in three of his last ITF events, all three of them. Uh, he won Wrocław, then was in the final in, in Łódź, lost to Paweł Czas, which I do have to mention. This is after all a, a Paweł Czas fan club, and then he also lost to Fermin Tenti in Parnu in Estonia. Uh, I think Kashnik also won't really ma- like Max also doesn't really care about the fact that it's slower than than it was supposed to be, because he's very universal in terms of surfaces. He he's good on clay. Uh, Kelan will probably uh, be a bit angry that the courts aren't playing as fast as they were supposed to be. Uh, yeah, and anyhow, there's also two doubles pairings that Jakub wanted me to mention. One of them was Janowicz Majchak, by the way. I mean, Janowicz just hasn't played doubles in a long while. I think when he was... I, I will check that right now. But I think when he was coming back to the tour in 2020, he played one tournament with uh, Valkov. Uh, yes, exactly. He played uh, He played with Valkov in Rennes. Uh, but other than that, I mean, it's been... It was 2013. Uh, 2013 was the last match when he uh, was the last season when he played more than six matches in doubles, more than five, sorry. Uh, so Janowicz is just really a very infrequent doubles player. Uh, I have no idea how he, how they will do. Uh, Mike Shack is pretty good at this, I suppose, but also not really playing that that much. I don't know. They're they're playing Cornea and Bert Stevens, so that's that's gonna be pretty interesting. Uh, Jakub also wanted me to mention Nis and Rebull. I think Dumbia has been uh, injured or something because uh, because they stopped playing with each other. And I don't think Dumbia is is somewhere else, but I will, I will have to check that. Yeah, Dumbia is just not, not playing right now. So I think Dumbia must be 
uh, Dumbia must be injured simply. Uh, Kids Bihal was the, his last appearance. Uh, and that's why we've got such an interesting pairing. There's also, um, like, the other Polish wildcards are Kelan and Wojcik. Kelan is a very good uh, doubles player with the serve he has as well. So maybe maybe there's something there, but it's a it's a it's a pretty tough draw for um, for most of the doubles uh, Polish doubles players because Jawiecki, Niklas Salminen got the first seeds. Hase Oswald, for example, and Matuszewski, Sachko are playing. Um, wait, let me. I, I I do I understand the draw right? Yeah, Matuszewski and Sachko will be playing Pelt Valkov. So that's you know there's gonna be a poll in the quarterfinals, but it's a shame that. Um, that they're that they're facing each other, and when it comes to the qualifying, uh, I do have to touch uh, a, a bit a bit upon uh, the the matches that we already saw yesterday. Uh, I think seven of them were finished. Yes, um, one of the wildcards went to a Slovakian guy who doesn't have a singles ranking, which was quite surprising. But I guess they couldn't really find anyone, or maybe this is some sort of a a deal with a Slovakian challenger, I do not know. Tomas Lanik, but I was very surprised with his level. I mean, the, the serve was excellent, and not, not really about the power, but the, the placement as well. Uh, he was very capable of executing short attacking combinations, like the you know, serve, serve forehand actions were excellent. And he lost to Setkic in three sets, but it was, it was a high quality match. Definitely surprising to see that sort of level from a guy who cannot really break through ITF qualities. Um, yeah, and one one poll or triumphed yesterday. He won. Uh, Michal Mikuła defeated Bogdan Bobrov. A pretty big surprise, I suppose. Uh, but I think Mikuła would be a bit higher ranked if he played more. He doesn't really have much shape on the ball. He's a very good counter puncher. Uh, but against Bobrov, he was dictating the play, and it was working out. Even though sometimes he had to, I don't know, win the points through. Know, five attacking shots instead of two, which I usually, which a more aggressive, more uh, a player more used to attacking would use. Uh, but still, a very, a very nice showing from him. He's gonna play Setkic today for for a spot in the main draw. It's not unwinnable. It's not unwinnable. That's for sure. Uh, Mikuwa also a very funny story. He got in as an alternate. He wasn't originally on on the entry list because he hadn't even bought the access to ATP Player Zone. Like he he came to Kozerki for a Superliga match on Saturday, and then he asked the referee whether he he had any chances of getting in, and he realized that he was going to be the last alternate because he could he could sign up for the for the alternate uh, you know sign up, and then he quickly bought uh, player zone and and got in, which is which is just wild, and he's already defeated Bobrov. Uh, I haven't checked it, but I suppose that Michal Mikuła probably hasn't uh, hasn't had a challenger qualifying win before. He's 22, so still fairly young. But uh, you know, he was he was never really that big a prospect here in Poland, so uh, I don't think he was getting wild cards to challengers. Uh, yeah, it was actually his challenger debut. I, I didn't know that. I, I thought he might have played qualies at some point. He's yeah, he's probably a bit better than his results suggest, uh, than his ranking suggests, just because he he isn't playing that often, uh, as often as he probably should. But but still, not not a guy with uh, superb potential or anything. Uh, but just a couple a couple hundred spots higher, I think, than 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 it seems. Uh, and yeah, and another that there was also. Uh, and other two Poles who finished their matches were Olaf Pieczkowski and Martin Pawelski. So, so you know, still juniors. They they've been playing the the Grand Slams. Um, 
Pavelski even reached the semi-finals at, the, at Ron Garros. Pavelski is generally perceived as the better prospect, that's for sure. And he played Marco Topo in a match that had like very little rhythm. Uh, I think, in general, you'd expect that Pavelski's serve would, would be doing more damage. But it was a it was a bit of a difference in terms well maybe not in class because he's got a huge serve like very few juniors have this sort of delivery but Topo Topo was more effective with it for sure and uh, and yeah it, it it got very tight Topo was leading five three got broken in the in the third and then Pavelski got broken again uh, so I guess we can't really be you know angry about that but it, it felt to me like he had a chance against Topo that's for sure. And, and he did. And Olaf Pichkowski played uh, Christian Langmo. Uh, also a pretty rough draw. I honestly kind of find it hard to describe what uh, Pichkowski does on the court. Like, he's... Um, he moves very well. He's got a very nice, like, wristy, wristy forehand. Uh, it, it's a, it, he, he just hits a quality ball. That, that's all. And I think that's something really, really nice to just try to build up on. Maybe, may, maybe this guy is also... Uh, going to be a, a bit of a prospect in, in, in Polish tennis. But he, he lost to Langmo in three tight sets. At the at the end, he kind of... In the end, he was uh, already a bit gassed. I think they went over the three-hour mark, so uh, very understandable. Uh, when it comes to other uh, qualifying matches, ba- Baby Zhukayev was quite impressive against Erler. Uh, maybe not the greatest of wins, but after seeing Zhukayev play in was it Nur Sultan, uh, that, that Kazakh challenger where he got to the semis and uh, being stunned by his serve there. I actually, like, his baseline game looked much better live. Uh, the, the the spin he puts on the ball, the movement even, which on the stream looked a bit clumsy, but yesterday against Edler was pretty on point. Uh, I am very excited to see how he, what he shows against Marco Topo in the, in the final qualifying round. Uh, one one player in the qualifying that I really want to see as well is Thiago Sabov Wild, although you know I don't know if he's gonna be at any any real like any level fairly close to to what we know he can play. Probably not based on how his how his year has been going, but with the with the qualifying draw not being that strong, maybe he can maybe he can make it through. Skander Mansuri is the top seed, but in general I don't think there are many players like there, there's a big difference between the main draw and the qualifying. That's for sure. Uh, there's generally not much depth in the field in Kozerki, but that's that's because of the. Uh, like the spot in the calendar, even though it's just the only tournament in Europe, every single player well wants to prepare for the U.S. Open, and even though it's in hard, if you go deep, then then you have very little time before U.S. Open qualifying. So that that's really the issue for for a lot of players here. Uh, yeah, and when it comes to the winner picks, I am going to end with the thematic uh, Mike Shack. Even though the, the section is terrible. Like, if he is to play Medvedovic, Zhuk and Zhang to, just to make the semis, that's awful. I legit think that Janowicz could have a run. We'll see about that. And Marterer in the second round is certainly tough. But most of the qualifiers, he should be beating them. I think he really should be beating them. Uh, and if if we get a semi-final Mike Shack against Janowicz, that would be insane. Uh, Janowicz Kelan also could be a quarter-final, but I don't know. I mean, Kelan drawing Ofner is just is just very rough for him. 
uh, I doubt he can he can beat the Austrian and Jakub also does because he sent me the info that he wants to pick uh, Sebastian Ofner to win the title, which I respect. Uh, Ofner has been playing on clay mostly this year, but you know, he, he's capable of taking it to all surfaces. Obviously, he has the attacking playstyle to uh, to compete on hard as well. Uh, the, the bottom half is slightly weaker, and that's why I really think that if Kashnikovsky beats Alvarez Varona, he could have a big, big run here. Because he's playing a qualifier in the second round. Most of them are very beatable. He'd probably be the favorite against almost everyone. And then uh, Sachko Andujar or another qualifier. That's also very winnable for him. Uh, I, I, I really think that if, if he beats Alvarez Varona, he's probably in for a, for a good run here. Uh, Janovic, you know, that, that match against Marterer, if we get it, that's going to tell us a lot, I think. And and yeah, uh, that's, that's, I think, where we're going to finish at this week. Uh, we're going to be back, uh, hopefully, <laughs> this time with Jakub, uh, in seven days to discuss Kozerki, Santo Domingo and Vancouver. Hopefully, I'm going to bring you some uh, some additional stuff from, from, from the Challenger event in Poland this week. And yeah, uh, hopefully you had uh, a decent time with me alone. I think I went a lot, went on for a lot longer than I expected. Uh, but yeah, that's that's what we do. Uh, we produce very long shows that uh, are only for nerds and that uh, most people don't really have the patience to sit through. Uh, so I'm glad that even by myself I was able to do that. Uh, yeah, see you, see you guys around next week. You're not gonna hear Jakub's bye at the at the at the, uh, you know, at the end of the the show this week, which is uh, which is a bit of a tradition by now. So yeah, see you. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.